Namo Tassa Bhagavatu Sama Sambudasa Namo Tassa Bhagavatu Sama Sambudasa Namo Tassa Bhagavatu Arato Sama Sambudasa May all beings be liberated quickly. May I serve all beings. And yeah, that's good. <laughs> I was going to do something a bit more formal. But. Well, tonight uh, is an explanation of refuge, precepts, and the bodhisattva vow or commitment. But it follows, uh, really follows along um, from all the uh, information or the explanations I've given you. And essentially, it's again causality. Nothing happens mysteriously. Did you know what I mean by that? It might be mysterious, but it actually has a cause. Okay, so we have to start with that premise. That means that the path of liberation is causal, not something that comes from aliens from another planet. It doesn't mysteriously just happen to beings. It must be causal. Even if suddenly someone becomes enlightened, it's still causal. Many of us try along the path of liberation a-causally, non-causally, which is we wait for it to happen. It won't work. I guarantee it. And, and I, I'm not allowed to bet, okay? Actually, well, I probably could because I'm not monastic. But, however, by tradition, I can't bet. And I have with some students, but I've never collected. And I'm, I'm, I'm up around, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars over, over these things. Literally. The best one was the... Uh, um, the cyanide-squirting um, millipedes. Someone, someone said, they're talking about cyanide. I said, oh yeah, millipedes squirt out cyanide. They, Come on. Oh, come on. They do not. You're just putting me on. Yeah, yeah, no, they do. They do. They do. <laughs> they bet. $10,000. I'd never collect. Anyways, I will bet you millions, literally millions I will collect, that liberation will not happen a-causally, non-causally. It must be built by causes. That's how everything happens. So, so too, the purpose of refuge, the purpose of precepts, the purpose of the bodhisattva commitment or vow towards liberating for all beings, not just oneself, is to produce the, exactly the correct causes and conditions for the result. Otherwise, it doesn't happen. I'm finished. For tonight. Okay, no book is needed. I'm not kind of serious, actually. Another way of saying this is if you don't aim high, you go very low. So I ask people sometimes, do you want 20% enlightenment? Do you want 5% enlightenment? Do you want kind of a little bit? Or would you like to actually train for full liberation? And if it doesn't happen in this life, 
it'll draw you as, fur, as far as possible. Do you, do you understand? It's like, I'll give, you, I'll give you a couple examples to drive the point home, if I may. I never do that, right? I just let it sit. Let me, let me give you an example. Boy, I'd like to make a living as an artist. Anybody here a professional artist, making a living as an artist? I want to be a professional artist. I want to make my living on art. But I'm not going to work at it. It's just going to come to me. I'm entitled. Or I'm going to do it 5% and expect that I'll be, that the universe will support me. Does this make sense? So the purpose of refuge, to start with, is a appreciate, and I'm, I'm speaking classically. I was, I was going to read some quotes. I may. I may read some quotes. But um, the purpose, as stated, is very, very clear, is to lay the seeds causally to understand, one, why one would take refuge, and number two, to provide the very best supporting circumstances to make it happen. Let me, now, let me give you an example. I'll, I'll read from the text. But it's very, very ancient, so actually the text first. From Gampopa's wonderful uh, book called The Jewel Ornament of Liberation. This is a new trans, fairly new translation. That thick. Uh, we're talking um, almost a thousand years ago now this was written. Uh, this is a fantastic book. It's like a Bible. Bible of the complete path. All the way from just starting out right through to full Buddhahood. Spelled out. Well, the guy was fully enlightened. So he has a lot of respect by the tradition. And he just didn't declare he was fully enlightened. He was respected as completely enlightened. In chapter 8, Refuge and Precepts. See, Refuge and Precepts comes here. You know where the book starts? It's kind of cool. First chapter. is called the primary cause. Oh, there's that word again, causal. What's the primary cause? Buddha nature. We all have it. That's the cause. That's the ultimate cause. You can't attain something unless it's already the, the, the factor's already there. This would be complete. This, this whole path I've been describing and Dharma describes is complete nonsense unless the premise is it's already there. Because all you do is going to play act, right? Let's go all, it's all play, play act, being enlightened beings. But there must be a basis for it. There must be actually a basis. The basis is we actually already have that enlightened quality in us. Okay, so refuge is the way to bring that out. stages of a bodhisattva, the actual what's called the bodhisattva bhumis, the actual grounds of what one attains to when, when one it directly experiences emptiness and compassion. Not arhat, but emptiness and compassion conjoined. All those stages, it says, the bodhisattva bhumis mention that, mentions that without the Mahayana family, that is the commitment for liberation for all beings, one cannot receive the bodhisattva vow even if one cultivates the mind 
through ceremony. So in other words, without the causal strength of receiving and practicing the, um, the commitment to liberating all beings, uh, even the ceremony isn't going to do it. You have to commit. You have to really take it, to, take it to heart. Instead of commit, take it to heart. We've already taken something to heart. What have we taken to heart? Have I mentioned this before? Five, ten times? What have we taken to heart in society? I will be taken care of and happy if I just acquire the right objects. Like a mantra, over and over and over again. And we know it doesn't work. Right? And yet we keep trying. Over and over and over. I get the right partner, I'll be happy. I get the right job, I'll be happy. And so on and so on and so on and so on. It might be temporarily happy. Therefore, all the necessary elements must be connected and gathered. That's why we take refuge precepts. We need to create an a environment that is suitable in our being over and over and over again to allow that bodhicitta, the enlightenment mind, to emerge. Otherwise, it has a hard time. So uh, then he says, after a little bit, he says, taking refuge in the three jewels. So why jewels? Uh, today, is anybody wearing a ring or jewelry? Yeah? It's pretty common today. But it was at one time a diamond or a ruby or sapphire, uh, what they mean by jewels, not turquoise or coral, but, but those gemstones were controlled completely by the king or the queen. So most people never ever saw a diamond, a ruby, a sapphire. I think a tourmaline on your ring, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Citrine. Oh, citrine. That's a very dark citrine. Hmm. So a citrine maybe, but not the precious gems of ruby, sapphire, emerald, diamonds. It just wouldn't. You wouldn't mean, unless you met the king or the queen, they might be wearing it. Do you understand? But you'd never own it. Here, you're going to own the highest gems. Do you understand, Trisha? The highest gems, which is the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Why? They deliver you to liberation. That's, that's it. To explain the second topic, the object which, which to take refuge. Sorry the object in which, you t- in which to take refuge, you may ask whether to take refuge in the powerful deities, Brahma, Vishnu, Mahadeva. These are the great highest gods in the Hindu tradition. Should you take refuge in those? And so forth. Or in the powerful deities and Nagas, the serpent beings of one's country, who abide in mountains, boulders, lakes, or trees, and so forth. They are not object of refuge because they cannot give you refuge from fear fear of samsara, what I discussed this morning. So, following his, the, the reasoning here, would you take refuge for liberation in your parents? No. Would you take, and he goes to a list, sort of like I do, over and over again, would you take refuge in your relatives? No. Would you take refuge in your politicians? No. Would you take refuge in your school principal? 
No. So this is the, the logical arguing out of where would you actually find refuge not to be happy or sheltered temporarily from a storm, but where would you be sheltered and be delivered, sheltered and delivered, carried over in the storm of blind, wandering, becoming? Does that make sense? And that's been sorted out a long time ago. We're lucky. We don't have to kind of have a conference here and figure it out. I have every bit of confidence after 2,500 years, it's, it's well sorted out. Good enough for Gampopa, 1,000 years ago? It's good enough for this So these people who are lovely, maybe parents, friends, relatives, they may give us all kinds of gifts and riches, but it's extremely rare that it's, it's the supportive conditions necessary to understand and traverse the path of liberation. It might be good. It might be comforting. But it's not liberation. This must be sorted out. Why can't they give refuge? In order to give refuge, one should be free from all fear and have no suffering. Otherwise, there's no model. So this is what I mean by aim high. If you go to a person who has fear, then they're not going to actually be a role model for liberation. If they have no fear about samsara, and if actually have cleared that, then actually it manifests. You go, wow. So we don't take, we can take refuge in our, in our teacher, our lama or our teacher, but actually we really still don't. Those, those beings are called sangha, and we don't take, really take refuge in sangha as much as we take refuge in the Buddha. Now I have to get into the explanation. And the reason being, is that the members of the Sangha, that is people that teach because, hopefully, they have some experience about the transcendental or emptiness and compassion. Good experience. And they have the skill to teach. The defilements are still not completely gone. Therefore, we up the scale even further and say what we do is we take refuge in Buddha nature. But we get our guidance from those that are living manifestations. Does that make sense? The Buddha's dead. He died 2,556, 50, how old am I? 59. 2,559 years ago. I was born on the same date, so it's easy to calculate. So tomorrow, if you take the refuge ceremony, you don't take refuge in me. I'm just representing. I'm representing the historical Buddha and your Buddha nature. That's all. Does that make sense? That's all. You can't take refuge in me. I can provide an umbrella shelter for you. So can Cheryl. To a, to a, some, to a, to a greater or lesser degree but you cannot take refuge in, in me fully. Does, does it make sense? But I represent that tradition. Therefore, I help give you confidence 
in Buddha nature. The Dharma, in the same way as it says here, you can't really, even though we take refuge in Dharma, we can't really fully take refuge in Dharma because Dharma are words on paper and they're subject to transience. I'm going to die. Cheryl's going to die. But, yes? Mm -hmm. Did you not know that? Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You see? Buddha nature doesn't die. The historic figure died, but Buddha nature doesn't die. He represents that, that thing. He attained to full Buddhahood. Have others? Yes. Gampopa, in a lifetime. Milarepa, his teacher. Extraordinary day. Full display. Amazing. People do. But by tradition, we're careful. So we do not take refuge in that picture. But we use the picture as support to engender a memory and a feeling of how important it is. Does that make sense? It's a historical, it's a, at, the, at the outer level, it's a historic figure who was a genius. No question in my mind, the historic Buddha was an absolute, incredible genius beyond any imagining whoever he was. It was extraordinary. What he wrote is so clear. That teaching is still going on today and brings tears to my eyes. And I know wonderful uh, uh, teaching masters in the same way who just go, oh, literally, oh my God. They read it even after 40, 50 years of teaching or training and they just go, it's just so clear. It's just so pristine. The man was utterly amazing. So we, on the outer level, we take refuge in the Buddha as a historic figure, and we put a, a picture or a sculpture or something that keeps reminding us that that's actually what we're going for. Okay? So on the kind of, on the very, very highest outer level, we will, you know the meaning of supplicate? Because it's kind of a, a negative word today, but it used to be a very beautiful word. You know, supplicate? It means to humbly give respect. That's actually all it means. But today it means to give over your, your control, your ego. Yes? But actually, the texts are full of the word supplicate, but I usually have to translate it for Westerners because our words change every 10 years. What, what, was, what was a meaning 20 years ago is not the meaning commonly held today. Sometimes I ask people, what did you mean by that? And they go, that, and they go, it's not even the dictionary. That's how fast uh, language is changing. So when we say supplicate, we mean to give honorable respect because we actually understand the importance. On the furthest outer level, you supplicate to a picture because you don't understand what it means. And thousands, maybe millions of people do that every, every day. No problem. It's just not a bad idea. That's, that's belief. Hmm? Not asking you to do that. I want knowledge. I want understanding. That picture up there is because there's 2,500 years of broken, unbroken tradition here. Normally I wear it for this another robe. It's just too hot. And that robe actually has an insignia on it, which is the unbroken uh, ordination lineage. 
all the way back to the Buddha's time. It's 2,500 years of continuous teaching. This, this one is a tantric rope, and that's unbroken for, for, for you know, I don't know, maybe a thousand years. So that lineage from, from all the way back 2,500 years is actually really important because it contains a lot of power. It contains a lot of blessings. And it contains a lot of instructions that actually worked. So what do we do? We give honor, namo, in, in Pali or Sanskrit, namo. Namo tasa bhagavato. I give honor to the fully um, one who has gone through the gate, gato. The being who gated. Namo tasa bhagavato. A being who has fully gone through the gate. We give honor. Why? Because we should want to do the same thing too, so we keep reminding ourselves over and over and over again. That's called aspiration. So refuge is an aspiration that we make to clarify what we're doing in life more than something else. Causality. That's why I say take refuge a hundred a hundred times. When you're in the Vajrayana tradition, the Tantric tradition, minimum is 111,000 times in a row. Well, not all day long. You'd be tired. I think, I don't know your name back there, but I think you could. Pardon? Dan? Yeah, Dan. I think Dan could. He's got, he's got the body for that. I think Dan could do probably about 100,000 continuous prostrations, visualizing the refuge tree, and saying it. And, yeah, I think you could. But most of us, my knees, I'm, I'm good for about 10 at this point with my knees. I'd be very careful, actually, doing them. But, but in the tantra tradition, we actually physically take refuge for three months, contemplating it, studying it, meditating on it, so it goes in very, very deeply with our body, our speech, and our mind. I'm not saying do that, right? That's not, you're not required. Uh, that's, that's a separate teaching. But we take refuge because we want to keep reminding ourselves what the causal condition is. We are going to become that refuge for other beings. Therefore, we need to study it. We need to contemplate it. We need to get it in very deeply. We need to go, why would I take refuge? I've known people who've after two, three hundred thousand taking refuges, right? Over and over and over again. They're still going, why am I doing this? Well, it's time for more teaching. But actually something's sinking in here. If it's here, always doubt. If it's here and here, oh, that's a good combination. Did I say just here? No. Here and here. Here and here. Study, reflect, meditate, contemplate, feel. Let it come into your heart so you have confidence. So, the Buddha, historic on the outer, but very important is the historic Buddha and the, and, and the great gift that he gave. That's a precious jewel. On the inner level is an appreciation that we too have that quality and can give rise to that quality. And that's sort of at the innermost level, which is what we call dharmakaya, the body of dharma, is the realization of the total, pristine, undying nature of Buddhahood. It just doesn't get created and it doesn't die. It's always been there. 
outer, 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 outer A, outer B, inner A, inner B, and then there's kind of C, which is pristine nature of how it is, called reality. In another tradition, there's outer, inner, secret, and reality. Not so much on that today. Maybe, maybe in October or something like that. Maybe. I've been invited back, so. You get to have the outer, inner secret, most secret. We have to actually go progressively. Jumping ahead really can cause a lot of confusion and doubt. It's really good to go step by step. Therefore, we don't take refuge in cats, no matter how intelligent the cat is, or our dog. They're not enlightened. You can take refuge in a Dharma teacher if they have good, good realization, but know that they're representing, what they're representing is Buddha nature. So, the taking refuge in the Buddha really helps straighten out going, what am I doing in life? And reminding yourself over and over and over again to, to take that on. It's a jewel. It's a precious jewel. It's, this mo- it's way more precious than... Uh, well, you won't believe it. It's way more precious than a vase full of one-carat flawless diamonds. Way more precious. Oh, you're... Yeah, really? It is far more precious. Way more precious. It actually is going to make you happy. Imagine if you have a whole vase full of one-carat flawless diamonds that are worth, I don't know what they're worth today's retail, but $30,000, $40,000 each. You have to protect them. You're going to have to protect You're going to have to do something with them. Buddha nature just is free. We have a, uh, I don't know if it's still there in my refrigerator, but somebody put up a lovely little slogan. Awareness is free. Buddha nature is free. It's not a commodity. It's not a thing. It's actually just the way things are. It's the way everything is. Have you ever felt an obstruction in your mind? Have you ever felt obstructed? Who's, who here in the room has felt obstructed? There isn't one. Buddha nature has no obstruction. That's, your mind is Buddha nature. It has no obstruction. That's a fantasy. That's what we straighten out. That's why we have a Buddha that taught that. We have a Dharma that teaches it in texts and now videos. And we have what? We have a Sangha, a community of beings that have a pretty good experience of it. Maybe not full. Maybe not full realization, but they can actually teach it. They've trained in it. And they have confidence in it through direct experience. And they're called the Sangha. Yeah. To a greater or lesser degree of Sangha. Or a community of beings that have um, virtue, they have confidence, born from direct experience. That's the classic definition. It hasn't changed. It's being reinvented today, of course, by, by Westerners, but it's not true and it's uh, a new thing. But actually, I prefer to go with what's been there for 2,500 years. It works. And the reason is we feel in the West very um, democratic and very egalitarian and very hurt 
And therefore, if somebody is a teacher, then they hold power over us. But if we all are teachers, then we can't get hurt. This is not, this is uh, a problem today. We actually still need leadership, and we still need guidance, and we still need to practice respect, and we still need all those qualities. This is a phase we're going through. It's just a phase. But it's uh, not going to last. You can't. Doesn't mean the people aren't good, right? Doesn't mean the people aren't lovely. Doesn't mean they're not kind. But to have actual wisdom experience is different. To have actual knowledge of ultimate compassion as compared to relative compassion is a different kettle of fish. Okay, and I'm going to come to that in a little bit. Okay, so. Why do we, I mentioned this very briefly, but probably skipped over it a bit quickly. On the third level, if you wish, the reason for all of this is to bring out what's called the three Buddha bodies. Yes, there's, some of us here is going, but aren't there four? Yes, there are four, and actually in some traditions there's five. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Three. The Dharmakaya is described as a quality of unobstructed natural nature that is inherently, effortlessly compassionate to liberate beings. It requires no body. It's called Dharmakaya. It does not require a body. It just is reality. It's the ground of reality. Therefore, it's called Buddha nature. So we have a formless body. How's that? A formless body. Hmm. A formless, because kaya doesn't just mean body. We have a formless body, requires no form that can even be described or grasped by the conceptual mind, that is the ground of reality, the dharmakaya. There's a lovely description here. Here we go. Beautiful. Now, this is outer, inner. This is from a text of outer, inner, secret, and reality. So I'm going to go to the reality level. The fourth source of refuge, ultimate, the Dharmakaya, is reality itself. If you jump there, you can really fool yourself badly. And I know people doing that. So watch out. I take refuge in, in the universe. Uh-uh utter mistake. Do not take refuge in the universe. Take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma Sangha to start with. Or deep trouble. The fourth source of refuge is reality itself, inclusive of its essence, nature, and compassionate resonance. Its originally pure essence is free of all elaborations, all story making. Have you gotten tired of stories yet? Anybody yet? Put your hand. Have you gotten tired of endless stories going around in your being? You're on your way to liberation. If you're not, well, good luck. I mean, more, more, more work. Actually, if you go into retreat, there is a stage, literally, where you'll puke your guts out because you've realized the stories are as what's been pinning you to the wall for 17, 
20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Just pinning you to the wall. And until you take refuge, you'll be pinned. Those endless stories of causality that don't have any real basis in fact, and you know they don't, is a scourge. So there you go. However, it is Buddha nature. So it's just the light of Buddha nature, except it's twisted. You know, if we if we if, if the sun is coming through a window and we put a screen, what we see is a screen, correct? It's obscured the light. If one day we actually put up the blind and we don't put mirrors and prisms and gems and um, ornaments in the window, what do we have? We have the sun shining through the window. So all the afflictive emotions that we have and emotional states and ideas, they're, they're um, little crystals on the window. But they're not the sun itself. But they actually are made of the sun. It's like a twist. Just a twist. Its originally pure essence is free of all elaborations. No more stories. No more conceptual contrivance. And entails four great liberations. Its spontaneously present nature, spontaneously present. It doesn't require initial conditions or causality. It's the only one that doesn't. It's spontaneously, spontaneous and effortlessly present. Its spontaneously present nature possesses the entire range of positive qualities, the entire range of po- no negative qualities at all. This is a description of Buddha nature from a commentator who's an extremely enlightened being and giving commentary from a... Um, a very high tradition called the Kandranigtik. Its spontaneously present nature possesses the entire range of positive qualities which I need to describe some other day. That's called the five Buddha wisdoms and the four Buddha activities. But that's... And radiates, radiates with self-illuminating five-fold rainbow light. Radiates effortlessly shining and never dimming. That's the nature of the pristine mind. It just doesn't dim. Finally, its compassionate resonance is unobstructed and all-pervasive. There's no direction it doesn't pervade. By, by tradition and by the declarations of realized of, of Buddhas, it permeates every single thing in the universe. It's the way it actually is. This isn't. This is contrived by our mind. Isn't that hard to take? It's not bad, by the way. It's pretty good. It's pretty cool. But all of this is actually a product of a certain type of genetic conditioning and societal conditioning. You know that, right? I hope so. Birds don't see the way we see. Insects don't see what we see. Most creatures on this planet do not see at all the way we see. And everybody in this room sees differently the world and hears the world differently. Is there anybody that can go to a symphony and hear the same symphony? No. And none of you are hearing the same talk right now. You, you know that? Not one of you. You can walk out of this room and say, you know what Lama Mark talked about? Where were you? 
we're, what, what? Uh, I didn't hear that. And you can even play the tape recording back and you go, I never heard that. And actually, even when you're hearing it, you're sk- sk- skipping over whatever, you know. This is a contrivance. This is a fabrication of what they call elaboration right now. If you know it, the freedom is incredible. It doesn't mean it stops. But if you don't know it, it's always a bewilderment about causality. Well, what happened to me? Why do they do that? And it's always the outer thing that did it to you, instead of the mind actually does it. Make sense? Have you noticed how we do that very quickly? How, why, did, why did they do what? What? Shall I give you a demonstration by? Someone in this room leaves the the briefcase like this. See? And Lama Mark gets up like this. See? And Lama Mark goes like this, you see? Like this, and slips, puts his foot in here and trips. And someone says, sorry, uh, the the briefcase got in the way. Or you know how you look back and you go, uh, That's the a-causality of it. What actually caused the briefcase to be put there? So you say, oh, I'm really sorry, but the briefcase got in your way. No, no. What's the reason for the briefcase being there and for Lama Mark tripping? Many things. Let's go back in time. What is actually the primary cause? Nope. Pretty close. Nope. 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 Oh, this is good. This is good. This is worth the entire weekend. What? <laughs> not really. What is the cause? Intention. Nope. Intention. Well, yes, in terms of tripping. But the why is the briefcase there? So, okay, take. No, 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 no. Someone put it there. These guys will be talked about this tonight because of certain things. Why? You see? Why? Let's get to the root cause. Why? This is why we take refuge. Hmm? Why is it there? No. No. Why why everything? This is the root causes. It's either greed, hatred, delusion, pride, jealousy, or ignorance, or done out of love, done out of generosity, or done out of wisdom. That's it. All the rest is confabulation and fabrication. That's how things work. That's why you're here tonight. That's why I'm speaking. That's how everything happens. Mental intent. Thank you. (laughs) Completely. That was very good. An excellent timing. And I think the bell says class is over, yes? It's a very important point. The three roots of greed, hate, and delusion called the three poisons, or the five poisons, greed, hatred, illusion, pride, and jealousy, or the six poisons, mostly in the Vajrayana, greed, hatred, illusion, pride, jealousy, and ignorance of reality, is what drives everything. If you're in a really good state, then you have love, 
right? Substituting for hatred. You have generosity substituting for greed. And you have wisdom, which substitutes for delusion. That simple. I like the Buddha's teaching. That the Buddha came up with. That brilliant. This is a work of genius. That's not, that did not appear in it before the Buddha came along. That is pristine. You can call any emotion you want, but they all come under those three, those three points. That's it. That's what drives everything. That's why you're here. That's why all the mental states appear and disappear. It rests all on that. Well, we, we made that up. But then you have to look at the mental state behind the briefcase being placed there. And that mental state, which is either greed, hatred, delusion, pride, and jealousy, is actually the root cause. And the root cause of those root causes is simply bewilderment and confusion. The briefcase doesn't have to be there. You, you all know that, right? It didn't have to be put there. But the reason for it is simple. One of those three or five or six. It's simple. It's simple. We, everything we do. If we're in a really good state, then we ha- we're in a state of love or relative compassion. Right? Because we're not in an angry state. We're in a beautiful, flowing, outflowing state. And if we're in a, a non-acquiring or greedy or clingy state, then we have a natural outpouring of generosity. And if we can see how things really are, and not all the fabrications, then we have some wisdom. Which, of which the primary wisdom in insight is which one? Causality. Isn't that cool? Okay. Causality, transience, uh, no real self-nature. And the fact of friction, dukkha, stress. You see why we need to take refuge? going to have to start somewhere. It's a rough ocean. To not even know why we do things is called the state of bewilderment. Don't feel put down. Go hallelujah. It's, 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 uh, it's Saturday. I know it's not Sunday, but hallelujah. That fact alone is enough to liberate someone. If you studied greed, hatred, illusion, pride, and jealousy, and love, and generosity, and non-delusion, moment by moment by moment, you would experience a tremendous, profound liberation. I guarantee it. And there's, there's actually people who've done that, just on that fact alone, by studying how the mind gives rise to its actions and phenomena. Good, now I can go into the next phase. Oh, actually, I'm still on the, the, the three Buddha bodies. I think I might just leave that because I want because that's a perfect entry gate into the precepts. If I just tell you, or a teacher tells you, reading a book, that all unwholesome actions are caused by the three unwholesome roots, three unwholesome po- poisons, it's not enough. We need training, right? You go. Can you just give me a meditation training? Dude? So the Buddha came up with five primary trainings for everybody and said, if you do this, the humanness and the qualities required for liberation have produced the correct environment. Those are called the five precepts. Right? The minimum 
the minimum number of trainings required to produce a humanness in a being that no longer internally harms and externally harms. That's number two tomorrow. Number one is refuge. Number two is taking the precepts and saying, I will stick with these trainings. Because it's the minimum number of trainings. It's not a monk. It's not a nun. It's not a novice monk. It's not the eight precepts you take for a day or for time. It's the five that's the core of all of the precepts. That's the minimum number required to produce an evenness in a being that no longer harms and interferes with liberation. Profound. And I'm trying to remember, I, I mean, try, what I heard from Namjrimpa, who lived in Burma and Thailand and Sri Lanka for many years, my first, my first, my, my root guru, uh, he told us that it, when he was in Thailand in the 50s, it may still be to tradition today, that by tradition, a woman could not be married. Now, I know that sounds <clears throat> not so modern, but that's how it went. A, a, a young woman could not be married to a young man or any man unless they had been three months in a monastery as a monk because they weren't considered human. And he told us what the Thai name was for that and I think it was something like human or not human. So you're like your parents. You're going, no, you actually, uh, I know you like this, my daughter, but you're not human because you haven't actually practiced the five precepts. Isn't that neat? In that society, if you actually haven't taken on the ten precepts, the novice ordination, not full ordination, novice ordination, for three months, you're not considered human. Not suitable for actually a partnership in marriage. I think that's, I think that's brilliant. Brilliant. It's absolutely incredible. So the precepts, I'm not going to go into, I'd rather you have it fresh tomorrow, but the precepts of not, I, I undertake to train myself not to kill. Kill internally, good states. Kill externally, the states of others, good states of others. I train myself not to kill at all levels. I don't support killing. I will try the best I can to stop directly killing. All creatures kill, by the way. We kill too. Anybody come here and... Did anybody walk in this room? All kinds of sentient beings crushed under your feet. Anybody clean their kitchen counter with soap? Millions of creatures killed. Anybody brush their teeth? Millions killed in the, in the act of brushing teeth. Anybody flush the toilet? Billions and billions of creatures killed into the uh, sewage system by that act. We always are killing. The question is, are we killing with intent? Did you follow? We must stop killing with knowledge and intent. It's harm, serious harm. And it's a training. It's a really difficult training. It's really hard to just stop that internal killing and external killing 
because we're killing ourselves. All those thoughts, all those negative thoughts, 30,000 a day, 20,000 a day, 10,000, it's killing people. Take those away to a thought-free or thought beautiful, thoughtful, compassionate um, ideas and mind, and we have a different kind of being. Causality, right? Causality. I undertake to train myself not to take substances that intoxicate the mind so I lose awareness and clarity and purpose. Didn't say, it doesn't say don't drink. Some people interpret it that way. It does not say that. It says, I undertake to train myself not to take alcohol or substances that intoxicate the mind to the point where awareness or clarity is lost. Does that make sense? Because you can't practice. And you can harm. All this is about harm. Harm reduction. Is that a common? That's a, that's a new modern term. Harm reduction. Um, what's the other one they use in warfare? Uh, was it? Yeah. Um, yes. I undertake to train myself to have no sexual misconduct. Doesn't say sex. No sexual misconduct. And in many societies, sexual misconduct means adultery. But actually, it means all kinds of sexual misconduct that harm. Not just rape, any kind of non-permissive, non-loving sexuality is really a form of harm. If it's not done in the right mental state. Does that make sense? So these are beautiful trainings. I undertake to train myself not to lie, which means not to use improper speech at all levels, whether it's gossip, whether it's hurt, any kind of hurtful speech that isn't for liberative purposes. Hmm? In other words, it, it can be strong, it can be sharp, but it's for liberation. So speech that harms yourself or another being. That includes internal dialogues. This is high yoga, by the way. If you think this is low yoga, it's not. Tomorrow morning is high yoga. You could all do it. It's a high training. Even the five precepts. High training. Okay, get the idea? It's all about causality. You're harnessing causality to go in one direction. A fully integrated, compassionate, awake human being. It's cool, isn't it? I find it amazing. It's so logical. You don't want to take the eight precepts. No, no unseemly singing and dancing. And carrying money. Can't carry money. Actually, it's in the ten precepts. It's kind of hard to do today. Okay? How would you check into a hotel room? How'd you book a rental car? Probably come a time. I always figure I could get a letter. You know, I have a, I have a card, of course. But I get a letter, you know, it's probably illegal not to have a credit card. Before I come to the bodhisattva commitment or the bodhisattva vows, any questions about that? 
I, I find this unmistakable logic as a person who's spent a lot of my life studying science and, and um, not just studying science, practicing science. Um, it'd be nice to get some papers out the door. Got th- three, three drafts, three almost finished drafts. But, you know, not, nine months of retreat and teaching is getting away. <laughs> Finishing papers. Um, I usually get reminded when I go to the lab. Would you, would, you, would you get those papers done? Any questions about this... Um, I think, Gene, you had your hand, your hand up first there, Gene. Uh, in terms of killing, yeah. what about uh, in our society? We don't do a lot of the killing, but the meat we are killed by other people. We can. I, I knew that question would be asked. I, I, I simply knew that that was coming, which is great. Uh, the, the, the short answer uh, is... Uh, if you can be vegetarian, be healthy. And it's not a neurotic trip. That means there's not psychological, which there is a lot with people, not a psychological number going on, and you can be a vegetarian and be healthy. Excellent. Absolutely excellent. It's good. Harm reduction. But if it's to maintain your health... Then, then that that comes first. As long as you're not directly killing, there's a reason. There's a, there is actually a big difference between directly killing um, and um, eating that which uh, has been already killed. Because in the tantric tradition, we then turn that around and give those that have been killed uh, honor by actually eating them. In the Buddhist tradition, by tradition, even as a monk, first of all, there's no vegetarian in the Buddhist tradition at all. None. The Buddha never said, that's something you have to work out for yourself. Because there are times for health reasons that meat actually is required. Even in his time. However, and also, if someone serves you meat, you're supposed to give them honor, to give that animal honor, and them honor, to actually eat it. So you give them merit. If you're in a good state. There's a lot of subtleties to this. But if you can, if you can and you're healthy, be a vegetarian. Okay. Good. Good. And actually, it takes a training. Eating well as a vegetarian requires pretty good training. You can get, you can get pretty depleted. Fool yourself. My, my last comment on that is the number of Maybe somebody who's, who are clinicians can let me know about this. But the, for the last 40 years, the number of people I have met as students or come across that have underlying eating disorders that are being disguised under the, under the, uh, under the disguise of vegetarianism or being a vegetarian is extremely high in the Western world. That's my experience. I'm not saying all. I'm just saying... I've encountered again and again and again, which is not about safe, safeguarding animals, which is a tremendous underlying anger around food, eating, and um, uh, a repulsion about, about how actually things work. That needs to get cleared up. Okay, I believe uh, two and three. Yeah. We're just missing one of the precepts. Or one of the, uh, yeah, one of the precepts. Ah, yes, thank you. 
uh, not taking that which is not freely given. Thank you. Uh, usually it's called stealing, but really if you read the Pali very carefully, or the Sanskrit, it means that taking anything that hasn't been freely given to you. It's subtle. All the way from out and out stealing to those little stealings where it's not been actually cleanly given, don't accept it. Don't don't take it. It really causes problems. Okay? So that's that's the thought. But I, I wanna I wanna read it out formally tomorrow, so I don't even want to get to so those those five reduce harm because if the harm is too high, meditation doesn't go well, a clear mind doesn't happen, and liberation by definition, by tradition, will not happen at all. So it says in the text, it's just too long to read all the quotes, but it says in the text, if you don't take the precepts, there's not a hope in H of personal liberation, let alone Buddhahood, which is for all beings. Just, it won't happen. The, the actual disturbance in the mind is too high. The practice of the five precepts, the perfection of the five precepts, can and has, by tradition, by history, led just that practice of those five. And the study, the practice, the contemplation has led to enlightened beings. That's how powerful it is. Just by harnessing that. Amazing. Great. I'm going to change my question. <laughs> it's permitted. It's permitted. So when you were talking about if we're brushing our teeth or flushing the toilet or killing beings, how do we avoid that? And I mean, I guess does it fit into what you're saying about maintaining our health? We have to all be installing composting toilets <laughs> in our homes um, within the next three months. And, and by the way, you can see my uh, the, dealer, the dealership for the <laughs> composting toilets. I'm joking. I'm, I gotta watch that. I'm joking. Joking. <laughs> You know, I did that too many times in New Zealand sometimes. I, I would say, it just because yeah, I'm, like, I'm like that. And then I got complaints, you know. He's, 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 they, they don't, some cultures don't see the smirk, you know. They don't actually, re- no, really, they don't recognize. I have to watch this, especially in Germany. The jokes that I have, a Canadian, even a Canadian joke, it's incomprehensible. It's like, what? That's funny? That's funny? Let me tell you about the one with like the village next door to us that says a word in a different way. Then they laugh. That's like saying, you know, in Parksville, the way they say Parksville is different than the way we say Parksville. Everybody laughs. But they wouldn't laugh at that joke about, you know, would you please see my dealership about the compost? They they go, what are you talking about? No, but you just be aware of it. Be aware of it. And what do we do? How do we transform it? How do we transform when we, when we eat meat? How do we transform the eating of meat? How do we transform the wiping of a counter so we safeguard our health? How do we safeguard when we take a dirty kitchen rag, which is one of the largest, uh, the, the greatest causes of food poisoning? Yes? Yeah? Dirty, dirty rags. Uh, and we put them in the washing machine, or we boil them in boiling hot water to clean them. Uh, how do we transform that? May all the beings in that rag, may they be safeguarded, may they attain liberation. And you feel a sense of 
uh, not remorse, but compassion because you understand the difficulty of being a being in this world. All beings, all beings kill, all beings eat, other creatures, you know, even hummingbirds. Do you know that? How do hummingbirds get their protein? They have to eat X number of insects a day. They have to get their protein somewhere, not from our bird feeders, not from our, our uh, hummingbird feeders. We are always um, ingesting creatures. So we don't just pray, we contemplate what it's like to be a creature on this planet. It's rough, actually. It's really rough. Uh, in October, some of us are going to um, uh, Serengeti, going to Africa for s- safari. And I hope, I really hope that, that people on the safari get to see a, a lion chase down a gazelle or something like that. Why? It's actually good to see how it is at the mega level of how life, life is. It's an amazing thing to watch, uh, um, not because you want it to happen, but uh, every time I've gone on safari, I've actually seen um, um, a, uh, a lion or a cheetah uh, take down an animal. I need it. It's happening at every level. Every level. That's why I study biology. Not, not just to publish, it's not just to publish papers. I study biology to get a handle, a really good understanding on what is this life like. Not just our life, all life. All life. There are questions. Was there one more back there? Way back there? Yes? Um, I'm confused. This is a fact. <laughs> join, the, join, the, join the club. Um, I was listening, like, uh, I have a book of Joseph Campbell. Uh, no, 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 just whatever, you, your, your, your direct experience. Oh, my direct experience? Yeah, yeah, your question, your question from you. Not, not to quote Joseph Campbell, the Dalai Lama, who is one of my teachers, or well, even, well, even myself out of a book. Yeah. You know what you said in the book? Well, that's okay. Joseph Campbell bothered me when I was in university too and studied Joseph Campbell. I can... Lots of things. There's things the Dalai Lama said that I wouldn't even necessarily agree with, but I know he was talking to a certain audience at the time, and he's a very wise man. He's he's a very enlightened being, and that's okay. Just let it go. When I read the Buddha's words, of which there's lots, I don't get disturbed. It's just right on. It's beautiful. But Joseph Campbell was a scholar and so on. Very good. Very bright man. But... um, it's okay. We don't always get it completely right, do we? That's the way it goes. Joseph Campbell, not coming from really a perspective of Dharma. It's just not Dharma. But it, but it is about myth. It's about story making. It's about historic myth and ritual and so on. But it's not actually Dharma. Yeah. But bless his heart. A brilliant, a brilliant man, and and um, quite a quite a great thinker. Yeah. Any any others? And then we're going to go on to the Bodhisattva vow. I think there's one more over here. Okay. Great. Ready? Is all clear? As we say in Germany, all clear. In German, all clear. Yeah. It's actually so straightforward. 
you have to box yourself in in a wholesome way to get some results. That's all. It's like writing. The, it's like it's like uh, it's like trying to fly a plane with no engines. Okay, a glider. I know. Okay, but trying to take off from the ground in a plane that has no engines. That's about what it's like to meditate and try to become enlightened without taking refuge precepts and the Bodhisattva commitments. That's about exactly what it's like. It's really Should I? No. Awkward. I'm getting so politically more gentle in my old age. I was going to say no, but it is it is it is awkward in life to try to fly as we did as kids in a box with, with painted dials and not take off, except in our imagination. We have to actually have supportive conditions that are powerful. And 2,500 years of tested supportive conditions, I trust. I also, I also very fortunate, I get to see the evidence. I, I must say, I, I love what I do. I, I love what I do. Why do I do it? Because I get to see the evidence when people actually practice and study and contemplate the Dharma, it bears fruit. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. I'd be doing something else. If it was useless, I wouldn't do it. It's, it's silly, eh? It's a definition of insanity. It bears fruit. and It's, bear, it's borne fruit for 2,500 years. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people have been documented, uh, not just enlightened, but thousands of the rainbow body. You want to hear about the rainbow body? Is that They won't believe this for a second. When you die, you only leave your fingernails and your hair. That's it. That means you go from body to the... Uh, either the no body or the light body instantaneously without going through the death process. That's been documented, and a recent case of it has been documented in a Chinese prison by a Tibetan yogi, where they opened up the cell and all there was the fingernails and the hair. It's been documented for thousands of years. Thousands of years. Those are really good meditators. Those are really superlative meditators. Yeah. Okay? But thousands, maybe hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, millions of people have become enlightened to whatever degree or stage, millions. And it's been well documented. So, okay. Bodhisattva commitment. We're not here alone. This isn't our trip. Those emotions aren't yours. That anxiety isn't yours. It's caused by the freeway. But it's not really that far from the joke because there's many reasons why things happen, not just the stories you tell yourself. Liberation is not full liberation. You can have partial liberation. The clearing of your emotional base, right? But that's not considered full or even a reasonably attained state. Why? Because it's not inclusive of reality. 
there are two types of clearing of obscurations by tradition. Two types. The clearing of the emotional obscurations of greed, hatred, delusion, pride, and jealousy. What's the word you're saying? Obs- it's actually not an English word, but it's in so many texts oh, that I use it now. You're, you're actually right. The word obscurations is obscure, and somebody tacked on Asians. It's actually not a word, but it's in so many Buddhist texts now that I have to use it. We use it for translation and everything else. I keep looking it up and going, I know it's not, that's right, it's not English. It's a recently, last 20, 40 years, made up word. So there are two obstacles, there's two obscurings to full Buddhahood. The emotional level, which is greed, hatred, delusion, pride, and jealousy. But there's one that's way more subtle and much more difficult. And that's called the knowledge obscuration of reality, which which includes compassion, which includes the ability to know how to liberate all types of beings from their delusionary state. Not just emotional state, a state of bewilderment about reality. Those are called the two obscurations. We practice in the two obscurations. So to actually bring about causally the fruition of those two knowledges, those two great realizations, requires again a support. And because we're all interconnected, that's not New Age stuff. That's as mainstream science as you ever want to get, and it's been taught for thousands of years. We're all, everybody in this room is actually deeply connected to each other. What we do here tonight together will affect each of us. The better our mind states, the better our qualities, the better all of us will be in the teaching tonight. It's true. That's sometimes why we have group meditations. It, it, it compounds. We're not alone. We never were. We're only a recent society that has the fantasy that we're alone. Nobody else holds that fantasy. It's, it's preposterous. And it's not just because if they die, we die. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. We're actually interconnected. You know like a forest with the fungi? We don't see the fungi, but the trees would not grow like a fir or many trees, would not grow for the large organisms down below in the earth that are supporting it. And they require the trees, and they require the soil, and the right soil chemistry and everything else. Okay. All absolutely dependent on each other. Full attainment is the full wish, and the active work through radiation, through radiation of blessings, to liberate all sentient beings no matter what they are. Not just humans. That means also going into hell, hell states, and pulling people out of hell states. That means no fear. That means God realms. You know, you don't just teach God God realms, not just in Nanaimo. You teach wherever you need to teach. Wherever you need to help somebody out of bewilderment, you help. Not not just a person, maybe an animal. So the bodhisattva commitment is to engender and generate bodhicitta. Bodhi, B-O-D-I, B-O-D-H-I, 
chitta, enlightenment mind. Chitta is mind, enlightenment mind. That is the aspiration which becomes eventually natural, which is blessing and wanting and wishing and actively engaging all people, all creatures, in freedom of the five poisons. Actually, the six poisons. Not just yourself. But most of us here are for what purpose? You. Right? Me. Not me. You. Is that right? Most people here say, what about me? Can you, can you address my problems so I can become free of my problems? But you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share something with you. That's the problem. The problem is the incessant focus on trying to get out of your problems is the problem. So the bodhisattva commitment is the fastest way to take you out of you, which is the problem. Not, not that you're not nice and sweet and kind and intelligent, but the, 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 uh, the emotional obscurations about you and what constitutes self is what's in the way for freedom. That's it. So we have two different, because uh, it's important to say, to say this tonight, we have two different commitments called Bodhisattva commitments. We do two. Actually, you're going to get about three different commitments tomorrow, but they're just said differently, and some of them is because I like them. That's all. They have subtle meanings, so they have subtle nuances, so I like having them in there. Number one, we have aspiration bodhicitta. That means we aspire to become fully enlightened for all sentient creatures. High, high shot. Isn't it? Isn't it amazing? Really high. And then we have action bodhicitta, which means we promise to engage. So we have two levels. One is, I, I want to get out the door tonight and I think about it. The other one is I walk out the door and do something about it. How about this? I wish to feed all the people in Anaimo with fresh vegetables from my garden. Good wish. Right? So now the wish and the intent has been stated. What's the next level? Make a garden and physically feed people. Did you see the difference? So there's two, there's two vows, two commitments. The wish and the promise to act. Otherwise, it doesn't happen. That's great strength. See the merit? The merit is incredible. So that means that everything we train, we train. Okay? We train. These are all trainings. These are not, these are not commandments. These are trainings. That's the difference. Precepts are not commandments. They're trainings. I undertake to train myself. I will train myself in bodhisattva commitment. You think you're going to be there tomorrow? You think you can actually naturally walk around and lie in your bed and sit uh, emanating the wish that all beings become fully liberated all day long and actually do something about it? That's a training. But you've got to start somewhere. So we start with a commitment. Is I will... And we start with a commitment is, I'm going to get off my ass and actually do something about it. And we take baby steps. 
And once we take baby steps, we take bigger steps. And then we do certain practices and meditation that, that demand we do that for an hour. It's called sadhana practice. Right? Emanating light, or lojong. Emanating light, gathering light, wishing all beings become liberated. And then we actually practice how to do that. And then when we get up, we might actually do something of that sort. Does that make sense? So what is it that a bodhisattva or an enlightened being actually does besides be kind and build hospitals? What's the purpose? I already told you, but it might have slipped. The elimination and the vanquishing of greed, hatred, delusion, pride, and jealousy. It's the only thing that's stopping us from becoming fully awake. Isn't that simple? That's what a bodhisattva does. A bodhisattva can build a hospital. A bodhisattva can build a school. A bodhisattva can make beautiful chocolates and take those chocolates and spread them around and people feel really good. Even a good cup of coffee. That's called relative compassion. I need to, that's my last tonight. Okay? I need to explain that. Fixing broken bones treating cancer, treating emphysema, treating a genetic illness, treating someone that lost their mindfulness, fell down the steps and broke their hip, helping a person who's addicted, helping a person who's mentally confused or in delirium or psychotic is relative compassion because it's a kind act that supports life and reduces harm and is a beautiful, wonderful thing to do, which is virtuous and supports all beings. Got it? Easy. Really good. It's called love. Love and compassion. What's ultimate compassion? The aid of eliminating and vanquishing and dissolving greed, hatred, delusion, pride, and jealousy. And, finally, ignorance about reality. That takes great skill. The other does too. Building hospitals, being a doctor, being a nurse, being a therapist, being a psychiatrist, uh, being a good plumber, and helping a house that's going to have water everywhere. Uh, that is compassionate. Being a good mom, great compassion. Being a good father, great compassion. Being a good teacher, great compassion. But it doesn't necessarily, and rarely does it, chip away and dissolve, give the instructions, the pith teaching instructions of how greed, hatred, delusion, pride, and jealousy is dissolved for good. Does it make sense? That's called ultimate bodhicitta. We need both. We don't become enlightened unless we have both. We can be as good, as good, as good as anybody on this planet. Just amazing. But it doesn't lead necessarily to freedom. But we need it to support life in a good way. We're here because of that, by the way. All of us are here because of compassionate people. But not necessarily because of enlightened people. Actually, we're here because of enlightened people. You wouldn't be. 2,500 years of enlightened beings is why you're here.
Now that's a very quick tour of the commitments that some of you are taking tomorrow, which is taking refuge. I undertake to take refuge so that I can cross the ocean of wandering and remove bewilderment. I take the precepts to stop harming so my mind is clear, resplendent, kind, and compassionate so I can get on about the work of liberation for all beings. Simple. And meditate too. Because, you know, if the mind is really disturbed, you find you never get to meditation retreats. It really is. You find, oh, financial problem, marital problem, relationship problem, break your foot, do something. So the precepts are there to actually allow uh, meditation and practice to happen. If the mind is really disturbed, I know people have never actually made it to a teaching. They've actually wanted to come to a teaching, they don't make it. Their minds are too disturbed. Defilements are too high. That's, that's, that's precepts. So, and then the uh, training in the bodhisattva commitment is training in relative compassion and ultimate compassion. And we make a commitment that we're going to understand it, we're going to have the wish for it, and then we're actually going to enact it, called inaction bodhisattva, uh, bodhicitta. That's cool, isn't it? That is causality. If we could just wave a wand and bring out the Buddha nature fully, wouldn't that be wonderful? Just like that? It doesn't work that way. There must be the causes and conditions. If suddenly you become enlightened after practicing, it's not spontaneous. But it is. Because it's already there. So that's spontaneous. But it still actually got revealed by causes and conditions. So 20 years ago, 20 years later ago, oh, this was so easy. I didn't even need the precepts. It just kind of dawned. No. There must have been causes and conditions for the dawning to happen that appeared to be so, so spontaneous. You know, Gampopa, the great enlightened Gampopa in the uh, 11th century, 10th, 11th century, uh, he didn't know he was enlightened for a long time. His teacher said, go to, the, go to a certain place to do retreat and don't come at a retreat until you're fully enlightened. That's the old days. That's the way it was in the old days. Now we're, you know, half-baked kind of llamas. You know. So uh, he's sitting there in his cave, and the years go by, the years go by, the years go by. He's incredible. He's like, and I'm, he's like yogi of yogins, this guy, and an, and an incredible intellect too. So he's a, a great practitioner and an incredible intellect, and he's a doctor. And days go by, days go by, and it's a very, you should read his biography one day, and it's sort of like, I think I'm finished. <laughs> it dawned on him that actually he had been sitting there and there wasn't any more really anything left to do. It was all done and it had been done for a long time. <laughs> it just kind of, kind of like crept up. Others, it's very sudden. It's very, very sudden. Just boom. Boom. It all comes together. For him, it was just like this dawning. Very, very slow dawning of such incredible level of attainment. He went, that's it. It's done. causes and conditions. He worked hard, by the way. It wasn't just sudden. He worked very, very hard to, up to, to bring about such incredible um, high attainment. 
all of, all of you in this room, including me, can become enlightened. I have no doubt. That's, that's, that's a no-brainer. You just have to want to do it. Straightforward. You have to want to do it, then you have to enact it. They just say, but I have a job. Oh, yeah, it's okay. Use the job. I have children. Yeah, I know. Someone who has children who did multiple sets of their foundation practices uh, and had children, two children. You know, 100,000 prostrations while, having, while raising kids. Sure. You want to do it? Do it. She's a very fine teacher, too. Very fine teacher. Doesn't matter if you're poor. Doesn't matter if you're wealthy. It doesn't matter if you're middle class. It simply doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter if you're a genius. This is not an intellectual thing. It, you, have, you have to have most of your brain cells working, not all of them. Okay? But it actually, uh, it's not for the smart, and it's not for the um, not so smart. It's just, uh, it's called this faith. You have to have confidence that this is possible. We all have it. We all have it. It's there. I mean, I look around the room and I see it. So, I mean, I look there and I go, well, all of you got it. It's obvious. Just look around the room. This is a highly intelligent creature displaying the most beautiful qualities right now. So, it's there. I sit here and I go, it's there. So, just let's work at it, please. Let's just do some work. It's actually done now, you know, this is the thing. Because you've heard it, you're finished. It is said that to take refuge means it's done. It may not be this lifetime, but it's finished. The power of taking refuge, the precept, not so much the precepts, the power, that has to be renewed every life, but the power of <clears throat> taking refuge and the Bodhisattva commitment is that it's done. It's like a viral infection that works its way through you lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. You don't have a choice. Once, even, even to hear this teaching today and yesterday, it's done. And I believe that. It's done. You've heard the Dharma. It's done. You may have gone to a class of Cheryl's. It's finished. You've heard it. It's done. It's going to work away and eventually surface, and it's going to emerge. It's finished. But I, I hope you don't take that like, okay, now, now I don't have to do anything. Because the, those, an eon is a very long time. <laughs> that's like 15 times the age of this universe. So that's what, 15 times, um, 15 billion years is one eon? Yeah. No, you don't, want to, you don't want to take those chances. Much better to do it in this life. This is really, really good. And actually, if you have real compassion, and you actually believe or feel and really um, have the feeling about, about lifetimes, not your lifetimes, lifetimes, then you will uh, engage in liberation as an act of compassion for the being that's going to come after you, that is going to have confusion about an existence that you don't even know about and will propel them into that existence. So the more work you can do now, the better the next existence. Hmm? Which means, shall I give you the, the, the what happens? I'll tell you what happens. It means that Upon the next birth, the more that you work, the more that you actually realize the Dharma, a teacher of Dharma, is encountered quicker and you take up the Dharma at a younger, 
uh, age. And with firmness, not just take it up, but you actually, you actually really engage. And then the path goes, goes quicker. That doesn't mean that if you're 50 or 60, it doesn't go quick. It's just that it, the, the activity means that that next being encounters and practices the Dharma with easier um, circumstances. Hopefully, the one billion lifetimes of other kinds of conditioning doesn't get in the way. That happens. Oh, wow, I encountered the teacher when I was five years old. And then frittered the rest of the right life away. So, merit, merit, merit. Okay, any questions about that? Yes, Gene. exactly correct. That's why we need role models. That's why there is the taking refuge in the Sangha. We read about those qualities by reading the Dharma and hearing the Dharma. And we have a teacher that exhibits uh, at least a good percentage of those qualities so that we can have a model by which to go, to go with, so that we can embody those qualities. It's a very good reality check. Understand? It's a good reality check to have an embodiment of those qualities in physical form. That's called nirmanakaya, or, or in, in Tibetan, a tulku, which is the uh, physical embodiment of those qualities that you can see, talk to, and ask questions, and get a reality check. And when they say to you, you know, your behavior is not ethical, you actually have the confidence and the humility to listen and go, I, I will change. Because I want to embody the awake state the awake quality. That's humility. I will change. So we need teachers. Who, your friends aren't going to do it, by the way. Do you know your friends aren't going to help you in this? You're, you might have some Dharma friends that do, but actually, friends generally don't want to damage their friendship. The teacher is your best friend. Your Dharma teacher's best friend. It's not a, it's not a friendship or a sexual or an affectionate type of friendship. It's a friendship about liberation. Therefore, they'll tell you the truth, if you can hear it. If you can't hear it, they'll tell you something of comfort, but it may not be quite on. But the greater the trust and the greater the humility and uh, lucid confidence, the greater you can hear a very short word of instruction without them raising their voice to make their point. That's your best friend. My best friend are my, my root teachers, my teachers. And the clearer you get, it's only a few words they need to redirect your conduct, a glance with their eye, their eyes, a sign of body language, and a few words to you that, that, that can change your life or change the direction of your life. Do you follow? Because they're not your buddy. And they don't really care if they lose your love. Do you understand? They're not out to have 
as many Facebook friends as possible. They don't care. They want liberation. Therefore, they're your best friend. But they're dangerous to your ego games, which is why some of you will not get too close to this being or to Cheryl, because uh, you want to become enlightened, but keep the ego games and the obscuring emotions and become enlightened at the same time. Well, it doesn't work. You see? So the, the organism is frightened sometimes, sometimes, because how would I operate without the games I've got going? Right? But that's your friend helps you keep the games going. Your, your guru does not. Your guru's there to say you don't need that because freedom doesn't require it. And that's what's in the way. That's your best friend. That's your best friend. So in the tantric tradition or in the Vajrayana tradition, the guru or the lama is the principal form of taking refuge, not the Buddha. Because they're the living representation. You can't go to the Buddha and ask them questions. And the Buddha's not going to speak from the Tonka up there and tell you, would you cut out the false pride? Or cut out the false humility? Or knock it off? Or, or I really recommend that you do the following meditative practice. They, they don't usually speak. But the teacher, as the representative of an unbroken tradition, a lineage, does speak. And they don't need your love, but they are being loving towards you. They're supporting you by... They they don't need to have this relationship. We're not counting numbers of students and, oh, my lost student, God forbid. No, they're there to uh, raise you and keep raising the bar so that liberation occurs. And sometimes that's the most beautiful thing and peaceful and sweet and sometimes it's hard to take. That's life. That's life. The teacher's there because they love you. Teacher loves you. What way? They love you because they know there's Buddhahood there. And Buddha nature's there. It's lurking. So let's bring it out. That's called love. It's compassion. It's ultimate compassion. Ultimate compassion. It is... As one of my teachers says sometimes, you know it is logic. It's a dilemma. You know it's logic. It's logic. It's just logical. Plenty? See you. Or, see you. By this powerful activity, this punyakama, Punya karma may lead to the cessation of bewildering suffering states for all uh, sentient beings. Idante punyakamang asawaki wahangho tu. Idante punyakamang asawaki wahangho tu. Idante punyakamang asawaki wahangho tu. May all beings be healthy and happy, and may all beings attain the full liberation, the full realization of the unity of wisdom and compassion. Sarvamangalam, Sarvamangalam, Sarvamangalam.